Back in December, we spent uh, the whole month going through just about a few verses and, and uh, a little letter called First John that's over toward the end of the Bible. And um, in chapter 4 of First John, just got five chapters in that little letter that he wrote, First John. Same guy wrote the Gospel of John. And um, I found myself uh, during that month not only reading those, those verses that we were looking at, but le- le- reading all of First John uh, to uh, kind of get an overview of what John was talking about. And then going back and looking at uh, the Gospel of John as well to kind of put in context uh, what he's trying to say to us. And, um, you know, even though we focused back then, uh, just it seems like back then, last year, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, on uh, this First John chapter 4 today, I want to go back because I could, I just have kind of camped out there myself personally for a while. And it spoke to me so powerfully today as I have this opportunity before we start a new series to kind of share some things that are, uh, I think God's been sharing in my life for a while. And it's this, it's, uh, as I look back at John, uh, what John's been trying to do and what he tried to do in 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and also in the Gospel of John, he was trying to describe something to people that they didn't have a frame of reference for. And I talked about this the first week of December. It's kind of like, you know, so often when we uh, uh, eat a food that we're not really familiar with, it's, uh, especially if it's a meat, we often just ask the person, you know, uh, how do you describe it? What does it taste like? And what do we say it always tastes like if somebody, you never had it, tastes like chicken, right? It always tastes like chicken, no matter what it is. Uh, you know, no matter what country you go to, no matter what what area of the United States you go to, if you don't have a word to describe it, for some reason everything tastes like chicken, and uh, whether it does or not, because we don't have anything to describe it in, in that sense. And so John was trying to describe, actually is one of the key things he tries to describe in First John, and also in the Gospel, he tries to describe what life is, what real life is. And actually at the end of First John, chapter 5, Verses 13 through 15, he uh, says this. He kind of gives a summation. You know, after you've said something in a good uh, letter, you try to sum it up. And you say, this is what I'm telling you about. This is the important thing. He says this. He says, I'm writing this to you, the things I've just written. I'm writing these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, that you, you that believe in the Son of God. And then he adds something else that doesn't seem to fit as well. He says, we have courage uh, in God's presence because we are sure that he hears if we ask him for anything that is according to his will. And he hears us whenever we ask him. And since we know this is true, we know also that he gives us what we ask from him. And I was pondering that and thinking about how those verses fit together because they don't seem to be they two kind of separate lines of thought. They really don't fit if you look at them. The first verse, verse 13, kind of talks about the assurance that we can have if you believe in Jesus that you can have this thing called eternal life. And then for some reason, all of a sudden, John, and I said he kind of like jumps here and there and everywhere. The thing is, he says, secondly, in the next two verses, he basically says, well, that, you know, the way it's supposed to be is that, is that if you have this eternal life, it's supposed to have some practical, tangible, tangible effect in your life right now, not just for eternity, but right now. And he said, you can have confidence in that. And the problem is, so often as this, is many of us will look at those verses and we'll focus upon the eternal life part. Or, or the eternal part, because we, we, that's out there in the future. We don't really know what that's going to be like, and so we'll say, okay, yeah, you know, I, I want to have assurance that I can live with God forever and, and, and all those types of things. And, and so we listen to the verse and we put it in that category. I guess this is what I'm supposed to believe in after I die. But the stuff that is described in the second two verses, in verses 14 and 15, about this tangible change in my life, this tangible thing that happens in my life right now, it's not really part of my reality. 
And so I just, you know, we don't really focus too much on that. We, cl- we cling to the eternal part and not to the life part. And, and so that's, that's kind of where we, where we, we kind of leave that verse. And I was thought, thinking about that. And I thought about my experience. I've been a full-time minister in gospel ministry and churches since the early 80s. 1982 was my first full-time church position out of seminary. And, and over the years, I've experienced and have talked to numerous people, some who call themselves believers and some who don't. And I've come to conclude this one conclusion that all of us, whether we're believers or not believers, struggle with one thing. And it's this thing called life. You know, what does it mean to live life? How do I live life? And so often I've found this to be true, that so many people, because they can't define it clearly and they don't really understand what it is, what they do is they simply accept a definition of life that looks more like existence. And what John is trying to say to us, that's not what God intended. He wants you to live life, life to the full. As a matter of fact, what Jesus said time and time and time and time again. And so this morning, I want to focus upon going back actually to the beginning of First John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I want to look at that for a few minutes and have, look at what it has to say about this whole thing, about what God wants us to live life for. And because this year, we want to focus upon this. We want to help you to understand and unpack in a real sense. It's going to take more than one Sunday, by the way. Uh, unpack what it means to live life in Christ. And what are the changes we must make in life to fully comprehend what that is and actually live it out because that is where God wants us to live this life that he talks about and so before we go any further let's just pray for a moment then we'll look at God's word once again God I just pray this morning for clarity for focus and for application of your word God, we do not come this morning just to hear thoughts and just let them roll off of us and to go our separate ways and, and not, to make any, not to make any changes in our life. God, I believe that there's people here who really want to know how to live life because we all struggle with it. And so often, God, what happens is we simply settle for existence, just going through the motions. And God, that's not the way you want us to live. So help us to begin the process now and over the next, really not only this this year but in the future, but this year particularly as we're going to be looking at a lot of things that you said in your word, God, through multiple people about how to live life in a way that's truly the life you want us to live, a life that really affects the very core of our being and affects everything we are and everything we do. Because that's the only way that we can really live the life you want us to live and not be miserable. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at a few verses here. We're going to go from chapter 1 and then we're going to look back at John, the Gospel of John as well. A couple other verses this morning, kind of, they all tie together. But John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let me just read it first, then I'm going back and look at it. Um, I'm this morning um, reading it from a different translation. It's a fairly new translation called the Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible. It's a fairly new Bible that I found recently. It uh, has some good good stuff there. And so that's what's in your outline this morning if you don't have that. Uh, but let's read this, this together. Uh, look, at, look at it. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed 
And we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to you. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The question that John has, not only here, but I found the same, the same struggle in the Gospel of John, is this, is, is that he tries to describe something to his readers that they have never experienced. Uh, it's like trying, he, he trying, like trying to describe something to somebody, like trying to describe color to a person who is blind. How do you do that? Or trying to describe sound or music to a person who's deaf. I thought about how difficult that would be. Uh, he's going to describe, what he's doing is trying to describe life. Life to those people who are merely existing. And that's, if that wasn't hard enough, the problem is, is he, he's trying to describe, like he's trying to describe color to a person who doesn't know that they're blind. They don't even know that they're blind. Or sound to a person who doesn't even realize they're deaf. So he begins to talk about it, and this biggest challenge he has is that all of those who read these words will already assume that they have life. That they're living life the way it should be lived. And John is not trying to develop some deep theology of life. He's simply trying to describe the experience he's had with Jesus that has changed him and made his life full into the plague. He says, going back to the beginning, that what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, John is saying, I'm not going to talk to you about ideas or stories or rumors. What I want to do is I want to take you where I've gone. I want to tell you what I've experienced. What I've seen, what I know that has changed everything about me to the very core. That's where he starts. He says, this is just the experience that I've had. I want you to know this to be true. And then he says this, that life that was revealed, and we have seen it and we testify and declare it to you, the eternal life. See, John's, it's interesting here as you look at the flow of the words. John so often, when we read this, uh, John's emphasis is not on eternal. That seems incidental to John. Because John understands that if you are alive, it lasts forever. If you're really truly alive, it lasts forever. It's not just something that, that, you know, it's something down the road. It's the life part that he struggles with that we don't, he's not sure that we get. And he wants his readers to understand. And then it says this, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, John was convinced here, it says this basically, that John was convinced that this life that he had experienced, this full life that, that enveloped everything that he was, was not just for him. It was something uh, that if we, that we can, if we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, something that we can experience and come to know through this relationship with God. It's not just not something he, he experienced because he walked with Jesus. Because he understood that life was what God wanted us to, to have. And then the last part of that verse, verse four says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's basically saying once you're alive, all you long for is to help other people experience life. It's not about being right or wrong or convincing people or winning arguments. It's about understanding that once you were dead and you thought you were alive and now you have real life. So this whole thing of under, helping people to understand what life is, 
is something he tries to flesh out. And it's not only, this is not the first time I, I read this. I went back to the, the Gospel of John. Uh, if you go back to the Gospel of John, not First John, but the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Guess what it says? John's consistent, if anything. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And then it says this, In Him was life. I mean, it doesn't repeat the theme again. He talks about this, this whole thing called life. See, John was so clear about what's most important in life, about what's most important for him to communicate. And I thought about this because think about John. John was one of the disciples that walked with Jesus. He experienced every miracle that Jesus did. And instead, you know, I, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm amazed. I went to when I, a few years ago. I was in Branson, and then I went to a magic show. A guy named Kirby Van Birch. You may have been there before if you've been to Branson. You know, it was a pretty cool show. The guy was amazing. I mean, he's like a David Copperfield, you know, level, level uh, magician. Uh, he made a like a I forgot a helicopter appear on stage out of nothing. I thought that was cool. You know, and Jesus was doing stuff. I mean, he wasn't doing like trick David Copperfield tricks, but Jesus was doing miracles all the time that were unexplainable. And so John saw all these things. And when he says, you know, the most important thing about Jesus is he didn't say miracles. He said the most important thing is that this in him was life. He saw in Jesus something that was more important than the miracles. It was this living life to the fullest. And then, and then in verse 4 of first John, or of John chapter 1, it says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Same theme he has over in First John. He's basically saying this. John's dilemma is this. How do you explain to someone that what they think is life is not life? How do you explain to them that? This, they, they, when you live in darkness, when you think everything is, is right, because so so often we settle for something so much less than what God wants us to experience. Something that we have worked for ourselves. It reminds me, you know, so often we, we kind of, you ever had anything that you do and or you, you really wanted something and you work for it hard for it or you do something or something happens and then you do it and you're kind of like disappointed? Ever had, had that happen? I... um. I think about lots of things in life that happens with, you know. But particularly, I thought a few years ago, I remember back when I first came here a few years ago, back in 2004, I'd never been to a pro football game. And uh, some folks in the church here said, hey, we got tickets. We go up to the Bears, you know. And I couldn't go most of the time because guess when most pro football games are? Sunday afternoons right after church. And it's kind of like, get from here to there, it's kind of quick. Doesn't work that well. So this was actually on a Halloween, a game on a Halloween night. It was a night game on uh, on uh, the Sunday night football thing, you know. And so I, my wife and I were all psyched about going to a football game. Approaching, my wife's a big pro, uh, big sports fan too, and she loves sports. And so, you know, that's why I married her. Uh, but uh, not really. Uh, but uh, the issue was is 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 that we were going to go, and we'd never been before. And you get all psyched, you're going, like, "Oh, pro football, so cool! We've seen it on TV. It's so cool." 
It reminded me the commercial just came out. I don't know if you saw it about DirecTV. I think it was DirecTV recently that came out, and there's four guys sitting around a TV, and one of the guys is all pumped because they're watching football. And he says, hey, the, t- the boss gave me the tickets to the game. Let's go. And then the guy says, oh, it's supposed to be the coldest day of the year. And, and then he says, uh, you know, it's supposed to be wind chills of whatever. And, and then the other guy says, hey, I'm just going to stay here. Well, you need to sell them tickets and that's the commercial. Well, it wasn't quite that way, but I got there and it was really cool at first to go up there to, to Soldier, Soldier Field. That's what it's called, Soldier Field. And going up there and seeing everything. And it, and it was, and it was not too bad when we first got there. It was only like 35 degrees. But we'd been there a while and then the wind started blowing. And we were sitting in the end zone. And it was cool to be there. You know, it is cool to go to a, you know, pro game. I had this all these expectations. It was going to be this incredible, you know, over, you know. Well, it, the, the thing was is that uh, being in the end zone and being up in the stands, you know, he told me, he said, he told us for his when he said, I, you know, I, I, these are cheap seats. And I'm going like, you know, I looked at the ticket stuff and I'm going, that's cheap? I mean, I'd have to if get a good seat. I guess I'd have to take out and sell one of my children or something, you know, to, to go to, you know, get a good seat, you know, one of the ones on the 40, 50-yard line. But, you know, I went there. We went through the whole process. And we were sitting there. And it really, most of the game, because it was so far away, I watched it on this great big screen that was right next to us. I found myself, you know, after I got back, my head, neck was hurting because I was turning like this the whole time. The field was down here. Big screen was up here. And we were watching that game. But not only that, it got so cold that we had like multiple layers of clothes. And they said it wasn't that cold. I thought it was miserable. But, um, and we sit there. And then the, 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 the crazy thing about it that made me think about this is this, is that everybody around us, man, I don't know if you've been to one of these, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, they were so drunk out of their minds. They didn't know what was going on. I mean, we came in there and everybody would tell, it looked like everybody except us was tailgating before and they were already blasted before they got into the game. They get the game and these guys are coming up behind us. These three guys behind us, behind us. I mean, they had like, like, they, I thought they were bringing it for a party. They had like this whole thing of beer. It's each one of them had one of them, you know, like tons of them, you know, and they get excited and they throw beer on you and, you know, stuff like that. And I'm going, this is really fun. Yeah, this is great. And, um, I was trying to convince myself because I knew it cost a lot. You know, and, and I really appreciate these folks taking us and doing this because, you know, you know, it was pretty cool. And then after we left, I'm going like, I was thinking like, all these people, they've been drinking the whole time. They're going to drive now. We'll never get out of here. There'll be a thousand accidents. They didn't care. Most of them stayed around after the game and had another party because they thought they were living life. And I'm going like, man... My expectation, and I'm going like, man, I'd rather been home watching it on TV. So often we have things in our life that we, we, we have these expectations because we throw our resources and our, and everything into it and we said, oh, that was great. And then we wonder why, you know, why was that not all that great? See, most of us would choose to a life of our own making because we work for it, instead of receiving the life of our dreams because it doesn't feel right because it came free from God. See, John is trying to tell us this. He's trying to tell us, you know, he said, I experienced something that was real life, and I want you to experience it too because you can. And John says, and I see this, and I saw that as I started looking at it, the the theme of Scripture is this. It's all about life and death. And it's not about life and then death 
and then eternal life. We think that's sequential. It's about death and life and the battle we have to live it now. It doesn't start just in the future. God says, I want you to have life now. And it's not just something that John made up that was just his whole idea in Scripture because I find that everywhere in Scripture, you go back to the beginning of Scripture itself in Genesis. In Genesis two, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Guess what he breathed into him? The breath of life. The breath of life. And the man became a living being. And you have to get this to understand what happens next in the story of Adam and Eve. Because in the garden with the tree of life and of the knowledge of good and evil, God says, eat freely, enjoy the life of I've given to you. And, but he said, there's just this one tree because if you eat of this tree, you'll lose the one thing. You'll lose the one thing that makes you uniquely human. You will lose life. Because remember what he said? He said, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And we mis, and we misinterpret that because, and I think Adam and Eve misinterpreted that because after they ate of that tree, did they die physically immediately? No. They still existed. They still were around for a while. They probably thought, well, God was wrong. It was an exaggeration of the consequence of eating of this tree. And God was the only one who could see. Well, you're missing out on what the life I really have for you. You're just death warmed over. You're the walking dead and you can't see what you've lost. He was trying to say that to them and he tries to say it to us. See, John is trying to help us to see that outside of an intimate and personal relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ that affects every area of our life, you're not alive. You're not alive. That's what John's saying. Because when you're living out of an, outside of this relationship with God, you're simply existing. See, we have the argument wrong, I believe, sometimes. We think that believing in Jesus, uh, those of us who go to church, at Christian churches, we believe that be- believing in Jesus is, uh, is better than, say, believing in Buddha. I've had people come and talk to my office and talk to me about stuff like that. And I'll tell them, well, you know, just believing in both is really about the same. Do not, do not be offended when I, let me, let me finish this argument, okay? See, following the teachings of, just following the teachings of Jesus, they're helpful. Following the teachings of Buddha, I've, I've read them, they're helpful. It's not believing in the teachings of Jesus that changes you. Matter of fact, the teachings of Buddha may be more helpful if you're not really going to follow God because it gives you techniques on how to live your life without God. See, Jesus doesn't give us any techniques on how to live your life without God. He tells you that you can't even be alive without God. So if you try to believe in Jesus without experiencing the life he has for you, guess what it's going to take you? You're going to be miserable. And so often I see people in churches who are just miserable. They come to church, man, and they really don't live their life. I mean, it's just like this a little segment. For many of us, we see Jesus as a supplement to life. And for us to go forward, we got to understand that we will never experience, this is what John is saying, we will never experience life if you believe that you can live life without God at the center of everything. 
Because God never meant for us just simply to exist. He wants us to live. I want to share this as we close. Um, I was reading the study. I love studies. You know, it tells about people's... I was a psychology minor in school and did a lot of sociology classes and stuff too. And interested in how people think because it tells you a lot about them. But uh, years ago, there was... Just, uh, actually, a few years ago, there was a study about people going to the doctor. About people who went to doctors... And, um, and, and if the doctor told them if they had something serious and the doctor told them that if you don't change your lifestyle, you're going to die. You know how many of those, how many people, um, actually would change their lifestyle if they were told by the doctor that they were going to die? Studies show one out of seven. One out of seven will change their lifestyle. The doctor says, Hey, if you don't change your lifestyle, you're going to die. Don't make some major changes in your lifestyle. You're going to die. One out of seven actually make the changes. You see, maybe this is part of the dilemma that John's talking about. I mean, the doc- if the doctor said you're going to die, if you don't if you keep on living the same way you're living, six out of seven walk out of the room and, and they're saying, well, no, what is just a doctor? What does he know? What does she know? I don't know if that's what they say or not, but maybe that's one way they look at it. You know, just the doctor. Or, or they might go, walk out and say, well, he's, he's probably right, but I don't want to make the changes. That's more honest probably. Or, or many people will say, yeah, I'm doctor, I'll make the changes. And we go out and we don't do it. Good intentions. Most of us think, would think this, I don't want to die, I want to live. But I don't want to change. And so the thing is, we want both. And basically we're doing this. We're saying this. I want to make decisions that bring death and pretend that I'm alive. You know, let me ask you this this morning. What possibility of change do we have in this room? I mean, if one out of seven people are told that they're going to die actually make the change, but six out of seven choose not to change. How many of you here this morning, if you actually get it, that God says you're on the road to destruction, the road to death, your life is only existence, and you're, only, and you're defining the emptiness inside of you is all there is, and you describe existence as life, God says, I want to change you at the core of your being. How many of you would say to God, well, it's only God, what does he know? It's only the God who created us. What does he know? Or I really don't care. I just choose to exist. Or maybe some of you will say, you know, you get excited about it. You go, hey, yes, Pastor, you know, that's God. I want to make that change. But then you walk out and you forget because you get too busy. If only one out of seven people, when they finally see that unless there is a change, there will be no life. Let me ask you this question. Are you the one? Are you the one? John says, in Jesus, there is life. That's why God stepped into the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and did what he did. Because he understands this. It's a battle between life and death, and it doesn't start after you die. It starts now. And he's not going to give up without a battle. I beg you to be the one. 
I promise this. I'm not going to give you all the answers to everything because I do not have them. Okay? But I promise to struggle along with you through this year as we examine what God's Word has to say about several key areas of our life about giving it to Him. Because God, He's saying, He cannot be a supplement. He has to affect your core. Because when... What changes everything in this world? You know, and I struggle with some of the things that happen in this world just like you do. But what changes everything is when God changes everything in us. This year we're going to talk, this next series, we're going to talk about some changes we need to make in, our, in, in the way we do things. Why it's so important to understand we have to have limits in our life. God made us that way. We can't do it all. You were never made to do it all. And while you have to slow down and reflect and ask God, God, you know, I want us to be with you. If you really love somebody, do you want to hang out with them? Yeah. And we said the purpose of, you know, God says our two purposes, love God, love people. And if you want to love people, you've got to spend some time with them. It's not about being more busy. It's about being more focused. And that's what we're going to talk about over this next series, about why you don't have to please everybody else. You have to live for an audience of one, and that's God. And then in the fall, we're going to look at another series. I'm going to give you a little taste of what we're doing this year. In the fall, we're going to look at another series. And we're going to talk about, you know, if God if God really wants to have all of you, he wants to have all of you, one of the areas he wants to have is is, is your finances. And there's biblical principles about how to, how to live in a biblically way and using the resources that you have. And we're going to take the whole church through Financial Peace University, a process that will help you to look at the biblical things that God wants. As a matter of fact, uh, 20 of our leadership people are going through it starting t- tomorrow night. And so we're going to do that as well. And we're going to be looking at some things because what it is is, you know, the thing is so often we tell people, well, you need to be generous because God wants you to be a cheerful giver, but we never teach them how to do that. And so we want to encourage you as we go through. That's just a couple of things we're doing this year in the life of the church. You know, Jesus, um, John, in John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. That's what Jesus said, that you may have Life, not existence, and have it in abundance. See, Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make broken people well, and he came to make dead people come to life. And we just don't wait around till we die. God wants us to understand it happens now when he affects the core of our being and who we are. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.